Hello, I'm Brett Gilliland, host of the Circuit of Success podcast, and here's what's coming up on the show. You know, if you're going to do something, you go all the way. You, you don't you don't wait for other people to approve what you're doing, and you don't wait for other people to congratulate you on the back. You set your mind towards something, and you work your tail off, and yeah. learn and hope and learn from people around you. And uh, that's what that's what I did. And so that was the culture. It's like if you're going to do something, you win, and you win the right way. You do things the right way. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got another Brett with me, Brett McCabe, Dr. Brett McCabe. How you doing, Brett? Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's awesome to be with you, man. We uh, were talking before we started recording. We got a mutual friend that we didn't know we had a mutual friend, uh, Greg Larkin, Titleist rep down there in Birmingham. He used to be here in the Edwardsville, Fallon area. So you tell, uh, you tell Greg Larkin I said hello. I will. He needs to drop off some more golf balls for me on occasion. <laughs> yeah he is are they allocated down there for you guys too it's funny oh, our country yeah. club they're allocated man it's like bourbon yeah not only allocated i mean they're allocated like bourbon is so just gotta fight like hell to find them yeah it's crazy absolutely crazy so well good man i just wanted to uh you know let our listeners learn more about you i always like to start with kind of what's made you the man you are today i know that's a big question and, and a really open wide question but just want to start with that of what's made you the man you are today uh, you know, I was very fortunate to be raised in a great family. My dad was military and my mom and, and, uh, um, my dad was, uh, was an only child and, you know, there was a lot of organizational structure there. There was driven. If you set your mind to it, you go all the way, you don't stop halfway. Um, his dad was a, had a third grade education, was a carpenter, both of his sons. Um, my, my grandmother was German. They were a little older when they had kids way back when. And, um, both of their sons are retired military. Um, my dad was a pharmacist with a degree in chemistry. My uncle has a couple MIT master's degrees uh, in chemical engineering, uh, civil and, um, and uh, mechanical engineering. So very, very smart in the Navy. Um, and so it was a culture that was driven. And then my mom was very much into that as well, which was, you know, if you're going to do something, you go all the way. You, you don't you don't wait for other people to approve what you're doing and you don't wait for other people to congratulate you on the back. You set your mind towards something and you work your tail off and yeah. learn and grow and learn from people around you. And uh, that's what that's what I did. And so that was the culture. It's like if you're going to do something, you win and you win the right way. You do things the right way um, and you don't make excuses because nobody cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> And then the other thing too is my dad also also taught me, he, you know, in the military, what he did. He did a lot of work with people who did really cool stuff. Like, and he did a lot of really cool stuff, right? And it's just the military way of important stuff. And uh, he's like, you got to learn to stand in the shadows. There are too many people in my field and coaching and whatever who, when a client has success, they find the camera, the spotlight. They take pictures of themselves celebrating it because it's not about the player or the client. It's about them to show the world yeah. what they do and how to cross market that. And my dad was always like, you know, the work that we did, you were gone before the press conference ever started. And we were already on to the next thing. Nobody cares. That's your job. Do your job. And so his thing was you stand in the shadow. So I think that was a culture that served me for my clients. Like um, I work with some of the best players in the world in golf. Um, and I work with the best athletic department in the country when it comes to college sports. And it's, uh, it's not, I hope, I hope I've never had to look at a player and say, a player said, why'd you make it about you? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And it is, it's, it is cool. Cause I, I actually was introduced to you by a coach, um, buddy of mine as a division one basketball coach. And, and he said, man, you got to follow this guy. And so I started following you and listening to your stuff. And, uh, but it is cool because I watch golf all the time and, and you are working with some of the biggest players in the game, but yet to your point, you, you, I would never have known that. Right. I never would have known that. And I think that's really, really cool. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, I, I think, you know, I want a player who calls me because they want me to work with them, not because I'm going to use it to market to, a company or a, an association. Like if, if, if a business wants me to come, they know I work, I'm the psychologist for Alabama, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, how many people come through the university of Alabama and put their, try to put their stamp on it and then use it to market. I've, I've been sitting in workshops and seeing people say, well, when I was this and I was, I'm like, you've never been there. Like <laughs> I learned that very early on. I, what, what got me was about 15 years ago, I was sitting in a Barnes and Noble and I opened up a book in golf, golf psychology. 
and two mental coaches had written a book and both of them had the same elite player write a prologue and the prologue was identical. I literally couldn't believe it. Wow. I want my players to know that, Hey, if I need something, he's going to answer the phone and it's genuine and authentic and they pay me well. I don't, I mean, it's an exchange of services, right? The services are, this is what we do. And I want somebody to know that I'm there for them for their, for the reason they hired me. Um, in, in the social media world and everything we do, right. Is, you know, people will post a picture outside the building. And, and I, I remember watching a, a guy years ago who did this, it was like the, a draft was going on a major league baseball draft. And he kept posting my guy, my guy, my guy. And I remember another mental coach said, I've been working with that kid for six years. And he said, it's his guy. The kid was in a workshop one time, one time. Yeah. And, and so I just, integrity means the world to me and we're all competing, but the ultimate value is when a player tells you, thank you. And you know, it is genuine. And I, that, so when you say that, that is the greatest thing to me that it means that I'm doing it the right way, which I want my content to be currency. I don't want my connections to be currency. Yeah. And wouldn't you probably, I mean, I assume you agree. And so, and I didn't say this earlier, but you are a clinical and sports psychologist. You're the, uh, the founder of the Mindside PhD from LSU. You played baseball at LSU, won two national championships, uh, obviously working with Alabama and, and other, you know, sports guys that I won't name. Um, but you know, the PGA, LPGA, major league baseball, I mean, all these places, right. Phenomenal stuff. But I do genuinely believe and feel that, that you are the guy you say you are, which is really, really cool. But would you also not agree that those guys probably refer you to the next guy, right, because of that and who you are? Well, that's – and that's the ultimate sign of respect, right, when somebody says – like my financial guy is that way. My financial guy has a list of clients that I know because how I got to them was because of that. And the financial guys, and, and this guy is very well respected among professional athletes. And it's never about him. And it's, yep. you walk in his room, there's not one picture of one of his athletes. Not yep. one. There's a picture with him with the president of the United States. And because he's like, that's always a great honor. There's a yeah. picture with him and his parents and his kids. And his thing was, my credential should be on somebody giving me a recommendation. Yeah. When somebody says, this is where I want you to go. I, and and that's what I want. And and you know, I have a, a player, one of my tour players, and and he said this. People say, "Well, what do you and Brett work on?" He's like, "I don't know, I don't know." <laughs> but I know that when we work on a much better headspace, and I said, "That's a great compliment because I'm not giving you here are the six hottest things to work on in the mental game." I, my whole philosophy is built upon the psychological fingerprint of the person I'm dealing with. You and I, are, we have the same name. We're completely different. Okay. Yep. Mom was a twin sister and an identical twin. Couldn't tell them apart until they were in their 20s. And they were different. They had different backgrounds, meaning my mom was the older, her sister was the younger. There's a dynamic shift, right? And so we have to understand the people we work with. And it takes a lot of vulnerability for people to open up. One of the things I hear a lot from coaches is like, well, did the player tell you this? Did they tell you that? Like for the 45 minutes I see him once a week? No, they didn't. Yeah you're going to see him in a different spot. And so I use the team approach a lot. And that's why, I mean, I never want to be the person who like, I'm the reason they succeeded or anything like that. Like yeah. that, that's just not how it works. And, and I think maybe that comes from me. I played too, where it's like, I don't want that. Like I want the player to celebrate that. I will share their pain to some degree. I can't share all their pain, yeah. but when it comes time for their success, I want them to celebrate that and because they're the ones that have made those sacrifices. And so I think that just, I think it's something we can all learn. I mean, look, we're in a very self-promotional world and the self-promotion world is important. We have to do that. If your content is good, self-promote that, promote the hell out of that. If you can make a difference in somebody's life, promote the living a lot of that because people need content. Yep. So, Um, 
So what, what do you find that, that let's talk about that PGA golfer, for example, or the business person that's listening to this right now, obviously I'm not on the, you know, trying to make a birdie putt for, you know, a couple million bucks or something like that. I wish I was, but I'm not. Um, but what, what can you take from the golf course to the boardroom that things that we need to be focusing on? Like what, what is that mental mindset that we need to have? And hence the name of your company, the mind side, like what do we need to be doing to be at our optimal performance on the mental side? Well, I think we have to know who we are, right? And and a lot of times we we listen to what other people tell us to do, but those people don't blame for the business. I have a good friend of mine who's a CEO of a massive, massive billion dollar company. He's like, I run a benevolent dictatorship. I make the decisions. I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm not going to say I'm going to do it because you don't have all the information I have. Yeah, And you have to do your job. And I think as a coach, as a leader, and anything that we're doing competitively is we have to match to who we are. Like, too many people are trying to change us. Too many people are telling us this is the 14 ways of being successful and happy. Like I always look at books, like here's the how to be happy. And I'm like, but what makes people happy is different for everybody. Right. You know, my mother-in-law, her happiness is having people at the house sitting around talking. Um, my happiness is knowing that everybody's happy and in a good spot and a good meal and going to golf. Right. Um, so I think where we get in trouble is when we try to do what everyone else is telling us to do. And that is, uh, that's the scary thing. And so I think if we know what we're doing and we establish a plan and we execute that plan, Okay, that plan is to have challenges, barriers, and stressors all along the way. But we, we are flexible to what we're doing, and we understand that increasing pressure brings more consequences, more consequences than natural inclinations we want to over-control. So if we can turn that to being like, here's the way that I get better, and here are the decisions I'm going to make, and not reactionary, we can be successful. Yeah. So I'm big on mission statements and goals. Because I find that we spend a lot of time setting mission statements and goals. I want every leader, every person to have an understanding of what their philosophy is. So if you're in the financial services business, you know, I mean, I think you should have a philosophy of how do you find customers? How do you meet with what's your strategies? How do you, what's yeah. the market like? I mean, you know, if you're not a bonds person, don't be a bonds person. Like right. Chick-fil-A only sells chicken. Like it's okay. Like be who you are and rock it. And only six days a week at that. And they don't apologize for it, do they? Nope. Nope. Don't apologize for it. I do um, want it more on Sundays, it seems, though. You do. And <laughs> and other alternatives aren't as good. And, no. Um, and, and, but they have a culture, right? And they have a culture that everybody buys in. And there's a vision that people understand. As a leader, you have to paint the picture of what you're trying to accomplish. And... As a coach, I think coaches need to, if you're a coach in major sports, right, you should have a PR agency with you to help paint the picture. They're specialists at it. Well, if you same in business, right? Where are we going to be in a year? But guess what? We have to let people know that there's turbulence coming too. I think a lot of times in leadership, we want people to buy in so bad that we paint the rosiest picture possible. And the first time we get in that scenario, we can't handle it. The pilots that we get on on the airplanes, they can crash land. They know how to do that. I hope they've never had to do it. I hope they don't have to do it today, but they know how. Right. And they're going to tell you the turbulence in the air, and we're going to do our best to make it a comfortable flight, but I've got us, is what they're saying by saying that. And so I think, you know, we, we look at great athletes, and they're driven, right? We assume that, you know, we watch a video of a hype person hyping us up. It's not reality. Reality is it's going to be hard. And when it's hard, who are you going to rely on? And we're not going to react. We're going to respond. We're going to, we're not going to prevent failures. We're going to embrace them. I always tell my athletes that there's three types of animals, right? They're, they're critters that we see, you know, you got the possum. It's an ugly looking thing under pressure. It plays dead. It has no defense, which is funny because if you've seen a possum, they have ugly teeth and they hiss and you would think that it could do some damage, but it plays dead. You have an armadillo that looks like a badass, right? That thing looks like a bad dude, but the minute stress hits, it balls up in its defenses. And then you have a lion and the lion that sits on top of that rock is the one with the most scars because it's earned the right to sit up there and it has no defenses. Yeah. I mean, the main is to demonstrate in the tail and all right, but it sits up there because it believes in who they are, but they have scars. They fought their way to the top. Okay. 
And we have to understand that success is not about seeing stress as a reflection of something wrong. Stress, fears, insecurity, doubts, those are reminders to, to be in a scenario where um, we have improved our skill sets by the trials and tribulations we've been in because we've taken an accurate look at what we do. You know, teams lose and fans freak out and they're like, oh my God, the future. Great coaches look at it and say, okay, you know, there's four outcomes to any event. We played well in one, we played well and lost, we played poorly in one, and we played poorly and lost. All we can do is, is focus on the way that we play, but we have to learn. We can't control the outcome, but we can learn how to improve what we're doing. And so accurate reflection is like, hey, where what are we doing? What are the decisions we're making? What are the that's what we do in sport, right? Yeah. I would say too that great leaders in the boardroom need to be planned. Like when I did corporate work for eight years, I was always amazed and I had a great manager, but I'd always be amazed and I'd go cross over to other managers for a period of time. And, and you know, the meeting would start and they'd hand out the agenda. And I'm like, that's worthless. You're handing me the agenda for starting that sent to me 24 hours ago so I could be prepared. Because the first five to 10 minutes, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not on that agenda and I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so the, the, the hints, you don't need to be a morning person. You don't need to be an evening person. You just need to be you. We all have different biorhythms. And so some people are late night people like that's fine. Some people are early morning people. That's wonderful. Be who you are. And you know, like I like to write by going to a coffee shop and putting headphones in and listening to guns and roses, Nirvana, Eric church, um, you know, stuff like that. Right. Yeah. You know, Tom Petty, love Tom Petty. Okay. I can't sit in quiet to write. Other people need peace and quiet. And I write in bursts, but it takes me a long time to write a book because I'm going to analyze it, look at it because it's an enduring document. And, but that's me. Like I can't write a book that goes out in six months. People have to understand who they are and what they want. And then you build the plans to get there. Um, I am not very detail oriented when it comes to business practices. I want to go like, let's go, let's get on top of it. Now, when it comes to writing and stuff like that, I'm much more um, detail focused. And when it comes to like running teams, I am. But when it comes to going to get business and all the other stuff, I'm not going to write a business plan. The amount of time it takes me to write a business plan, I can go get the business. Right. Right. But I need help on the back end. I don't do a good job of bringing people into the gate and I'm on the step in the billing. My wife handles all that because she's a genius when it comes to that stuff. Got to know who you are. Yeah. Know the lane you want to play in, right? And so when, when you're talking to your players, your clients, and, and I, again, I would look at this for me talking to my wealth management clients or uh, somebody in sales talking to their client, how much time are you spending talking versus asking great questions? Um, well, that's... So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a great question because I'm a very active coach when it comes to coaching in the performance. Um, I, I use the example, and this sounds really bad to say this, but it's like, if I went to my doctor and I said, Hey, I got some sinus congestion and I feel like I'm running a low grade temperature. He doesn't need to do a comprehensive uh, review of systems to know that that's the standard that's coming in. Right. Yeah. And so he's going to give me an antibiotic, probably give me a shot to clear it up or whatever. Like he sees 15 of them a day, 20 right. a day during the time of year. The, the patterns of struggle are so consistent across people. The difference is, is that you don't see what other people struggle with. You never ask a psychologist, oh my God, I pro you've probably never heard this before. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I've heard it all. Heard it. Don't care either. And what I mean by that is, I don't hold that and carry it and go, ah, oh, Brett. I mean, this is I mean, like you, you learn very quickly to, to, to do the, the eye switch, like boom, gone, like the men in black. Marie thing. Yeah. So I hold on to that and remember that, but I do see consistencies. Now, that being said, the pathway by which we get there to help it is based on a, a like what I call a, what we call in science, but I apply it as a biopsychosocial approach. You have biological things that you do in your game and sport and life that where you are. You know, if you were in the military for 20 years, and my dad was, I can guarantee you, you will wake up before your alarm goes off at five o'clock in the morning. I've, I've met very few career military people who still don't get up early. It's just, they don't need an alarm. It's okay? in their DNA, yeah. 
it's in DNA. Um, if, if I'm working with a person who both parents are engineers, more than likely their DNA is going to have a problem solving style that is unique to that family. So I'm going to go through the biological understandings of who they are. I'm going to go through their psychological understandings. What are their motivations? What are their beliefs? What are their barriers? What are their fears, their insecurities? What are their underlying belief systems that may be, need to be challenged? And I'm collecting that over time. Um, and then how do they socially interact with people? Who do they value? Who do they trust? Are they coachable? Um, this is any client I work with, whether it's business or life. And I'm building a model in my mind, of what we call in psychology a formulation. We're, like It's no different than when you're looking at somebody's wealth portfolio. You're looking at risks, barriers. You know, you're looking at things that are important. Like, you know, I tell my financial guy, like, I need short-term motivators. I need to know that I'm going on a trip soon because I will, I will pay for that in short order. Like I gotta have some, I gotta have a carrot. Yeah. Putting money yeah. away doesn't get me excited. Like I've got to have something I enjoy. He's like, absolutely. Like, and so, you know, it, it's knowing those bases that's critical to understand how's the formula that we're going to impart the change that they want to make. So players come to me, they use me because there's an issue at hand. Very rarely does a player come to me and say, I am on top of the world and I want some help. And I'm like, what do you want? I don't know. I just need to put somebody on my team. I'm like, are you sure that's what you want to do? Is that what you want to do? Or is that what people are telling you what you want to do? And once you understand what they want and you can kind of knock away the layers, then you can get to what the core of the issue that they want help on. And then after that, I'm just pumping them. And so I'll touch base with players and say, how are we doing? Good. Yeah, I'm real good. All right, good. What did we learn? What did we experience? And I'm just trying to guide them. And, and, you know, players come in and they leave you after a while and then they come back. And that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's, it's fascinating to me because I also wonder, they don't know what they don't know, right? They don't have your brain. They don't have your ex experience. They don't have your wisdom and knowledge. And so, you know, if I'm a guy again in the boardroom or walking down the 18th hole and I got to get my mind right, I mean, how much of it is coaching to the point of, all right, man, listen, you need to learn to breathe. You need to learn to execute. And these are the five things, whatever it is, right? These are the things that you need to do. I mean, I'm assuming there's a lot of telling still. Is that correct? Well, yeah, you know, it, it's interesting, right? Because so I've got one player on tour who's very emotional. I've got a couple on tour that are very emotional. And everyone's like, you got to change them. Like, Why would I change them? Greatest player we ever have, Tiger Woods, is emotional. Like, yeah. Why would. I mean, you know, uh, if, if you're, you know, what, what is it that you can do in that moment? And, you know, what, it, what, what makes you tick, right? When, when it's, when mind is racing under pressure, because as we go up higher up the mountain of success, the mind gets more and more cluttered and flustered and consequences more. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to anchor? And if you're really sitting there trying to think of 14 things, we're in trouble. Yeah. Okay. We've got to get, it's like, you know, you've got to make a, you got to make a putt on the 18th hole to break 80 or shoot under par or whatever it's for the average golfer. And we assume that DJ tour players never miss those. Well, the, the stats on tour, uh, eight footer is a 50, 50 make rate. Wow. Okay. Makes me feel better. <laughs> Yeah, PGA Tour players eighty <laughs> percent of their money in five events a year. It's the eighty twenty rule. Okay, we think they're great every week. There are weeks that Patrick Cantley is in the field that people don't even know because he didn't make the cut. Now he may have been working on something. Like I don't like players when they make when they play their first event of the year to have any expectations because they've done all this work, but then they go out in the competitive environment. Competition is not the same as training, and in golf, business, sports, everything. We can practice all day long giving a talk. I put you up on stage with somebody, it gets real now. Yeah. All right. It, 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 you can't mimic it. Golf makes it even harder because there's absolutely nothing we can do to mimic it. If you and I are playing a match and we're going to say, hey, this is going to be, this is going to be the same as what we're doing next week. No, it's not. No, it's not. Right. It's not even close. Like, you know, and so I'm, I'm going to use this example and anybody, I'm not trying to offend anybody when I say this because I've, I've never been there, but it would be the equivalent of training somebody for war. Hey, we're going to play with rubber bullets and 
at the end of the day, I know I'm going home. Right. If I, if we go overseas and we're in a competitive environment. Like I had a buddy of mine who was a Navy SEAL and his first deployment, they didn't tell him that they, um, when they landed in, I think in Iraq is where he went, that they do a combat landing, which is essentially a controlled dive. And then they land real quick. He thought they were under attack. And so when they landed, the older guys said, hey, we're going to go get all this other stuff. Y'all established the base. Like, whatever. He said, me and the other new guy established it and we're in complete combat pose. Look, Because we thought the wire was the fence that we were seeing. He goes, we were in the middle of the base. The guys come back and they were laughing their tails off because they're like, what are you doing? He goes, we didn't know where we were. We thought we were in the middle of a combat zone. That's the wire. That's the fence that protects the runway. That's how it changes things. It gets real. It gets real, real fast, doesn't it? What What are the well, things that you you personally do? Like, if I followed you around with a camera, what am I finding the no miss items that that you're doing daily, day in and day out? You're not, you're going to be very underwhelmed by what I do. Seriously, like you're going to think that's all you do. My wife says you're just full of crap. I mean, you just make up things and go. It's not true. I'm going to, let's say if I go walk nine holes with a player on tour on a practice round, like I'll be at Scottsdale next week. We're going to go out and I'll walk turtles. What am I going to tell them? Like, what am I going to tell? I've never played on a PGA tour event. Right. Right. What am I going to tell? What I'm going to do is say, tell me what your experience and feeling. How's the communication with you and Caddy? And probably in that nine hole walk, there might be a hole or two that I'm really working. Like I'm grinding some things. Now, if they have their swing coach, they're going to probably be more involved in that and whatever. And I'm going to be, I kind of look at myself as the sharpener of the sword. I'm going to come in at the very end. Once they get it and they understand how to use it, now my job is to get them in that spot. Before they tee off in a competitive round, I just stand there, talk to them, whatever. Like, what am I going to do? Yep. Give them some new information? Like, hey, right. breathe through your eyelids now. That's hype up. Let's get hype, man. Let's go. Let's, let's eat steel. They're going to look at me and go like, well, you weren't here last week when I came in fifth, right? Um, and so my thing, is, and, and it comes from my coach in college. He was always like, if you're not there every week, don't don't act, don't make it about you. So there's another person that reinforces my approach, right? Um, he's like, if, if the catcher runs out to talk to the pitcher before the game and does it at a big game, why didn't we do it against the midweek game last week? Like, oh, because it got harder. So when I'm there, I'm, I'm kind of pulling back. And I'm just kind of tapping and moving. Like my, my sessions with like the college athletes, maybe 20 to 20 minutes max. Once I've established a relationship with them, they come in and like, hey, this is what I'm going through. All right, what can I do to help you? All right, good. Yep, got it. What we need. <laughs> next. <laughs> I mean, and, and the reason for that is they've got so many things. There's a brilliant video I use all the time. And it's a video from Smarter Every Day, which is a uh, vlog cast. The guy used to work for NASA. He's an engineer. And then he started vlogging. It's so good. So good. And NASA and the Navy, Smarter Every Day, brilliant. I mean, you'll go down dark holes. It's such a brilliant education. Like the one that he did on the nuclear submarine underneath the ice pack where he was embedded with him was absolutely must-watch television. And I'm a little bit of a nerd when it comes to stuff like this, but there's what he has where he goes to the Marine base training in Hawaii where they're training how to successfully survive a helicopter crash underwater. Right. And it's such an example for what athletes are going through. Right? They're getting flooded with information. So I don't know about you, but if, if I'm on a Chinook or whatever those are that you sit on the side and it's going underwater, I'm going to try to get out of that thing as absolute fast as I can. Yep. And they're like, the worst thing you can do because you, you're upside down, you lose orientation, you're in the dark, the water's coming in, it's filling up your sinuses and you, you're lost in ground. They teach them to hold on to their seat and they call it the rodeo grip and to hold on and then find the oxygen, take the oxygen, stay in your seat because it's an orientation place. I use that all the time for my athletes. Like, 
when you're in that moment, chaos is happening all around you. You and I, you know, you go into a big meeting, you, you get a call in wealth management to go in, somebody you've been waiting for for a year, you've been working at you where you finally get that meeting. And it's like, I want to do everything I have. Right? Yeah. Right. Go out, right? You've got to know, you've got to have a system. And so what's your anchor? What's your process? Like, I'm going to take notes. I'm going to ask these six, these are my go-to questions for tour players. It's like, hey, look, we're going to use a little bit of a trigger. We're going to pull on the glove as a reminder that we're in this moment. We're not going to be in a hurry to screw up. We're going to go through our process. We're going to verbalize the shot we want to hit and we're going to compete. All right. So what you have to do, that's a lot of what I'm teaching them is like, hey, look, when we're going through this process is chaos wants you to go faster. Wants you to hurry up and get out of the trouble. And competition is chaos. Yeah. And it is so different than what the mind would think, right? I mean, the, especially that the rodeo hold, I mean, that is completely backwards to what we would think. But when you say it the way you said it, it's so damn true. Yeah. Think about, you know, like, let's, let's do college football for a minute. Teams are watching a college football team and they got a young quarterback and they're like, God, this guy sucks. He can't throw. I mean, whatever. And the coach goes up on the press conference and is talking is like, yeah, it's our best option. And, you know, player coaches get upset. Like, being an LSU alum, we had this report from Les Miles for like six years. Yeah. And then they would throw the ball eight times and it looked like a fifth grade education, you know, fifth grade middle school football game. Okay. <laughs> They're all kinds of structures. But the point was, he never prepared his kids to transfer from competition, from practice to competition. He never built things in there that were anchoring them for their confidence to grow. You watch brilliant play callers. They build and they structure and they ladder up over time. Great offensive coordinators script the first 10 to 12 play calls of a quarter or a, a half. They're doing that because they're working in systems. Fans are like, oh my God, there's the, the post is wide open. It's like that guy coming out of the gate, unless he's played a lot, he doesn't have that. He does the ability, but he doesn't have the application. We got to help him get there. And and so great leaders and coaches can educate on that to the team. Like, this is how we're going to build somebody into that process. But that's like chaos, right? It's like Nobody wins a major unless they've been up near the lead a lot in majors. I mean, really, if you look back, I mean, everyone, somebody slips through. The talent gap is so small on the PGA Tour right now. Right. Um, in the Power Five schools and the top 15 schools of college football, the talent gap is so tight that it's the separators that matter. It's not hype, it's understanding. Yeah. So let's go back to that when you talked about the pulling on the glove and, and that, I'm fascinated by that type of stuff. So like walk us through that. So I'm a player on tour. I'm, I'm trying to get my game face on and maybe I've you know just made bogey. Like what is that process like and, and how do we then snap into like, okay, I mean, one, I got to remember that I got to pull the glove, right? But how do I do that? What's that process like to get me there? Well, I, I think you, you've got to understand that when you're out in the competitive environment, I'm going to try to give them one thing to focus on. That's it. Yeah. Okay, one thing. When we got two, three, they got so many other thoughts going in. I mean, we can't even remember what our friend's order is when they go to Starbucks, right? Right. Especially when it's four four squirts and a pump and an extra, <laughs> right? Yeah, just okay, give it just to me. Get sometimes. a coffee. Like, come on, just buy coffee. I'll get you the stuff on the side. Um, so, you know, in those environments, we'll we'll have a little bit of a review. And the PGA Tour, they have a caddy, and their caddy has to be that's their co-pilot, that's their navigator, yeah. and they're the ones that have to be good. Now, what happens is a lot of times when pressure high, everybody gets quiet. And, and you can watch this. You can see the cat and they get quiet. They, they don't know what to say because let's be honest, being a caddy is a brutally difficult job. They got to know what to say at the right time and not have any negative implications of it. I mean, that's honest to God true. Right. Because and challenge somebody them, knowing your job, that they're, they're your boss, right? I'm lying, man. At that point, I'm a challenge. I'm, it's going to do it. Yeah. But I, I try to tell them that like, this is when you have mistakes this is how mistakes compound. It's not the actual experience of a mistake that's a problem. Like if you're going to play, you're going to hit bad shots. You're going to fumble. You're going to have turbulence. What happens when turbulence happens? And so, you know, we look at statistics and we understand, and then we, you know, the player may not realize that in the moment, 
the caddy can and the caddy will take notes. And so, you know, we're looking at scenarios. I, I want them to be the best reporter of their experiences so that we can learn from wisdom is the greatest educator we have. Experience yeah. is the greatest educator we have and it creates wisdom. It's the best. Because the wisest people, like if you were to go into a business conference, people are going to want to go see Warren Buffett. And it's because he's had, he's seen things. He's been there. Is he always right? No. Now he has better margins to fail. But the, the fact is, we want, like, now here's the mistake, right? The 21 year old kid that's coming out of school is wrong. He might not be. But if you're going to fly or have a surgeon, do you, I mean, you know, surgeons are trained in residency to go through a whole lot of things. I mean, they're doing thousands and thousands of hours, but there's still somebody who's proficient, who's older, who's seen there. It's like, I've seen this complication 10 times. It's like, I got it. And again, in real world experience too. So, so how do we manage in today's crazy world of nonstop notifications and bad news and this and that? I mean, how do we manage fear and anxiety in today's world? Well, I think let's go back to the organizational aspect of stuff. First of all, we have to have an organized mind in order to compete. And that allows us to be emotionally disciplined. Okay. When we're emotionally disciplined, not reactionary to everything that's happening. When we're undisciplined, our emotions guide us to our next uh, behavior. So feelings, thoughts, feelings, actions are all interconnected, right? Um, actions very rarely happen in a vacuum and thoughts and feelings very happen. I mean, they happen. Now, I want people to understand that thought is not nothing more than the brain's way of processing information and identifying threat. Okay, so negative thoughts, are they're not predicting anything. They're just saying there could be a trouble on the horizon. That's all. But what happens is, is that if we don't have an organized mind and we experience a negative thought, a fear, doubt, whatever, we experience trouble, then what happens is we emotionally... We're undisciplined and it leads us to look for validation, proof, trust, all those things, right? And then those just cascade and our behaviors follow, which are usually re protective, restrictive, and we're trying to you know hold, serve a little bit. If we're organized every day in the way we do things, and I think that we should do five things every day. We should do administrative tasks, which are things that are between now and the next three to four weeks. I think we need to do developmental tasks, which are things for the next three weeks to three months, six months out, some planning. We need to do some training every day, content development, read, book, you know, read. I don't want you to send a picture of all the books you've read. I want to show, I want you to show me a book that changed your life, right? That impacted you. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want people to read books just to say they read them. I want somebody to say, man, I just, I digested this book and I got this one piece out of it. Yeah. Uh, I want people to do execution tasks every day. Like if you're, you know, if you're not practicing and training the way that you close, then you can't close. Yep. Right. I love it. People in business, I, I build relationships. Okay, good. Relationships without an agenda are just relationships. Yep. Everybody's in a relationship to have an outcome. You better know how to transition it. And the last thing is we've got to have a practice on how do we summarize and review and journal. Okay. So at the end of the day, we sit down and say, here's what happened. Here's how it went. I planned out my day. I executed. Here were some, you know, oh my God, I had a phone call at 11. Like my, my youngest daughter is finishing up at Auburn. She's got a puppy. She just had surgery. Of course, me and his dad said, why did we get a puppy before we had surgery? It's the cutest thing in the world. She's at school. Her dog sitter didn't show up this morning. So my wife was about to drive to Auburn. Okay. Of course, we wake up to that firestorm this morning. At the end of the day, it's no big deal, right? Right. And it's a great dog, but, but it's it, it, undisciplined. It makes me angry. Cause I'm like, nobody listened to me when I said, don't get this dog right now. <laughs> right. Right? Even though I think this dog rocks. Okay. It's the sweetest thing in the world. Okay. But it's still a puppy, right? It still yep. needs attention and stimulation, right? Can't go to daycare yet. And, um, and so, you know, the undisciplined me is like, nobody ever listens to me. Like that's the cascade of thoughts. You know, I work hard and, you know, those are the things, right? The man. Um, the disciplined mind is, hey, this is a short-term barrier. Help him through it. It doesn't impact you. Your wife, my wife doesn't need to go down there. We developed a solution. Okay. We'll help get her in the spot. It's like no big deal. Like really in the grand scheme of things, it's no big deal. 
it's no but how does that sorry to interrupt you how does that how do you do that though when the the mad mind is nobody's listening to me i'm you know i'm teaching people over the world i'm this i'm that like how do you then say okay let's let's get out of that brain thought and get into the what's normal and not you, you have know, to look at it awareness is critical right the, the mistake that our brain makes is that we make judgments we make we when mind makes validation and judgment assumptions it, it tries to take a picture and evaluate it and it does it because if you think about the protective mechanism of the mind, it's identifying risks internally yeah. and all the time. And it's, if you look at it and say, wait a minute here, um, that's not helping me right now. There's a time to analyze and there's a time to execute. Let me get back to what I need to do. Okay. So the first step is just simply having awareness to it, that I'm doing it. You can't be... Like, I love the idea of positive thinking. It's great. Okay. There are times that I've got pretty crappy thinking. Yep. And I know that sometimes that crappy thinking leads me to be in a bad spot. So I don't chastise myself for not being in a perspective, whatever. I'm like, hey, look, this is not the best. It's not judgmental. Hey, is there a better way I could do this? So it's simply having the awareness. It's not the problem that it's there. It's how long did we allow the damage to happen? That I think where people make a mistake is that they're like, I cannot believe that I did that. It's like, hey, I got angry or you know what? I got nervous. That's okay. Yeah. That's cool. Jam on, man. You know, the other thing too is, you know, this, this, this stuff's hard because we don't have thought bubbles above other people's heads that we can see what you're dealing with. Every one of us puts on a face. And that mask, that is powerful. And that mask is um, that mask is predicting what we want us to be. Thomas Merton, who is a, a philosophical priest, uh, and I did a podcast with Wright Thompson, who's one, I think the finest writer in all sports. It got that bourbon voice. If you watch the Masters, he's the guy that does the little voiceovers in the beginning. Oh yeah. Okay, so Wright is brilliant. He's a phenomenal writer. And can get in the human psyche so clear. And he said, Thomas Merton, the philosopher, said, we all wear a mask, but it's the mask that eats the face, that we start embodying the mask. I'm like, God, that's so good. <laughs> right? We're not vulnerable human beings. So what happens, we see, what we see in other people is we see other people's, we reflect, we connect to somebody else's strength because it usually matches our insecurities. That's yeah, strong. Because if I look at somebody, I'm like, man, I like I know what I'm good at. I hate exercise. I hate that stuff. I did it when I played. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't work out a lot. I need to. I should. I know. Um, I work. I mean, I don't even know how many hours are in a, a week. Um, I work way too many hours. I'm in the over the hundred hour week. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and so for me to get up at or to go work, like I got home last night at eight o'clock, like I left at five thirty, and I got home at eight and went nonstop to go exercise during the day like that when I had a 20 minute lunch. I'm not going to do it. Like, my yeah, God. right. So, so I've just eventually have come to a spot where I'm like, you know what? I can't get mad at myself for not doing it. I mean, like I, I watch people go running down the road and I'm like, God, I wish I could do that. Like, that's really cool. And I'm like, well, I can make better, you know, I could eat better. But when you're exhausted, not into it tonight, but you know, when you're exhausted, your willpower drops yeah. because willpower is a resource. It's not a trait. Um, and by the way, parents, if you're listening to this, your kid who doesn't seem to really want it at 14, hasn't learned to want it. Don't force it on them. Like let them figure it out and see if it's something that they truly like, like try to make them listen to your music. They don't connect to it. Right. I love Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. Cause it reminds me of college. Okay. <laughs> right. You give that to people like, yeah, that's awesome riff right there, man. But they're listening to other things that relate to them now, right? Okay. Yeah. So parents are like, it doesn't seem like they're really motivated. It's like, chill. Okay. Yeah. They'll find them. But that's the same thing as willpower comes in and I'll say, well, I'll just get up. You know, I'll just run to McDonald's real quick because it's eight minutes to eat. Right. And that's what happened. Yep. Okay. So I think we're so judgmental on ourselves instead of really seeing the suffering that we're all going through. And I don't mean suffering is a bad thing. Suffering is suffering is fine. 
And, and yeah, yeah. there are, and I'm sure I'll get messages of people saying, Hey, you know, I'll help you out. I was like, good luck. Okay. I mean, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, it's not my thing. I'm like yeah. I need to, I should. I went to my doctor who's my buddy and I'm like, Hey, blood, draw all my blood. Show me why I need to work out. And he calls me and goes, yeah, everything's normal. Because I respect the living hell out of people who can do that. Like I don't have that discipline because it's not, that's not my thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll work around the clock to have a week long vacation though. hundred yeah. percent. Like I dig that. Like going on a trip, seeing a part of the world that I really enjoy. Like I like that. Yeah. I don't do a lot of reading at night. Like I love to read. I love to listen to books, but it's not the same. I love yeah, to read. I, I, didn't, I hated reading in school because I had to, but I love to read. But I don't come home at night and go, I'm going to turn off and read. Like my mind, I, I know what my risks are. So to your question, is like, I know where I, my, I can get very down very quickly. I can get very anxious very quickly too, because I feel like I'm pulled all the time. So I have to know what my protection is. And so something that is taking energy to do it wears out an empty tank pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying this to people to say, man, I'm worried about you. Don't be. Like, this is the life I chose and this is what I dig. I love this stuff. Yeah. Okay. When somebody else is like, somebody else is like, you know what I love to do? Like, I have a friend of mine. Like, I love to go for a run. I'm like, how do you do that? He's like, I grew up as a runner. I'm a competitive distance runner. I get out there, hour and a half run. And I'm like, hour and a half? But it is on the top of his game. Okay. But that's his release. He doesn't play golf. He doesn't go to sporting events. He doesn't travel. He builds businesses. And running for him is almost like a... It's his outlet. It's an endorphin outlet. Right? He's like, I look in the mirror and I know I've won the day. And I'm like, God, I wish I could do that. And, and that's the thing is we're so judgmental on ourselves to see the one or two that are. we feel self, you know, self-esteem that in, in the American culture, what we do is we, we, we cover it with those masks. Well, I bought a G-Wagon. Okay, great. Um, like I have a, my, my buddy who's a doctor who drives a G-Wagon. And I said, why do you buy that? He goes, because I bought somebody else's mistake. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I buy them used. Person drove it for eight months, couldn't afford it, had to sell it. He goes, I won. Like, that's how he sees it. And I'm like, yes. oh my God, awesome. Like, yeah. like, awesome. like, I don't have a beach house. I don't know if I ever want one. Yeah. I love people who have them. The reason, I'm not home enough. Yeah. So for me to think I've got to go somewhere else, if I get to be a full-time writer, yeah, I don't want it. Why? Because that's where I'm going to write. Yeah. Like, I don't go to sporting events. I don't, I, I work at them. Those going to a sporting event of a team I work with, that's not fun. Yeah. You know, and so I, I, I bring all this up, not knocking anybody else who does all that. Like, you got to know what feeds you. Like, if you want to put mayonnaise on your french fries, do it. <laughs> Why are you not infringing on the rights of another human being? Do it. But the point is, is that we have to know who we are. And so we see the insecurities and, and, you know, I look at somebody and I'm like, man, you know, like see somebody and like, man, they look fit and good. That's usually, I'm a, I see that like I'm, my mind is attracted to that because I don't feel that. So instead of chasing that emotional undiscipline of like, man, I feel so crappy about myself. I'm such a failure. Like I'm a high performance psychologist. I should be fit. Right. Or my I don't care. <laughs> You're not my trainer. Yeah. I mean, he's like, I want you to do it for your health. But he's like, you want to go get some wings tonight? I'm like, you're the biggest ass. He's like, <laughs> he goes, I know you're there when I pick up the phone. Right. Yeah. You're not as, you're not as fitness trainer. So he didn't care. Yeah. And I know I should. You know, like that's, yeah. Those are things. But what I, the reason I'm bringing this up in disclosure is so people can understand that we all suffer from stuff. Yeah. Like I, I remember years ago. Go, you know, you go into like an old town main street, right? And they have this scene and the scene would be this like living room set up. And back in the sixties, they'd have models that would sit in there and everybody would look happy. Right. And everybody was smiling, which you didn't know is that maybe the husband and wife couldn't communicate. The kids were miserable and they're full of anxiety. What we project is not often what's behind the scenes. I want people to realize that we're all struggling with something. I, I, there's a, a brilliant, brilliant book by Robert Wright 
called Why Buddhism is True. And as I'm not advocating for Buddhism, um, Buddhist thought is very brilliant. It's very stoic. The way of thinking is insane. But what he's saying is that, you know, social comparison is the core of the human experience because it's our evaluation on the evolutionary ladder. It's the way we evaluate. We don't, we don't connect to people who are lesser than us in theory and social status because they're not good reproducible candidates. So when you think about it from a genetic stance, we suffer for a reason. Nobody will ever reach full content. You ever met a, I mean, you do well. Have you ever met a truly content multimillionaire? No. Does anybody ever come here? Nothing's ever good enough, right? It's like, when's it ever enough? Yeah. Oh, the market's going to change or no fear-based. Oh my God, it's going to be bad. Or, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to pay for my grandkid's house. So I want to, like, we do that because it makes us feel good. And so I I say all this because that suffering is norm. Like, we have angst. I mean, you know, there are times that we got real crappy thinking going on. And instead of judging ourselves, just look at it and say, you know what, dude, I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot right now mentally. Yeah. Like, I'm okay. It's okay. And I know where I need to go. Like, if I'm struggling, um, I need to have control of my, of my mind a little bit. And I'm like, I need to go to the coffee shop. I need to go do some writing. That's very cathartic to me. Um, going out for a nice dinner and having a drink with my wife, that's usually relaxation of getting away. That's not, I'm not going to say, Ooh, I want to go do that. Yeah. Um, golf course, I enjoy it, but if I go out during the week and sneak away, I'm, I'm a nervous wreck. This past year, my guys won back to back on the PJ tour. And, uh, I don't, I mean, I can say who they are because they mentioned me in the media. Sam birds won the colonial next week. Billy Horschel won the memorial. That week I was down at the coast. I was down at at Rosemary Beach all week. I didn't go to either event. And I was an absolute nervous wreck that week. And my wife's like, what? And I'm like, well, they don't, you know, I don't want to lose them. I love the guys. They're amazing human beings. You know, like I'm going through all that right in my head. And uh, we were talking about it and we're, you know, whatever. And I'm like, um, but it was such a powerless position to be in. And yet I was so proud of them. Yeah. And we had conversations and all. And I'm like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, I had to like going to Maui. We go to Maui every year for the tournament of champions is a winning event. You know, you win on the tour, you're you're there the next year. And we go because my wife's tonight's anniversary is during that time. So it's really there on vacation. And we just happen to check on the guys at the tournament. They don't really care that we don't care. Right. And I'm nervous wreck on the beach. Because when you wake up in Maui, it's already noon here. Yes. And it's you've got six hours of messages. (laughs) <laughs> now, January 3rd, how many people are really stressed? But that's, and so I don't relax in Maui until like one o'clock because now it's the end of the day. Yep. And, but I love going, but I, I don't do good getting away. I love vacations, but I, I don't, like we're going skiing next two weeks. I can guarantee I'll be checking my phone the entire time I'm on the mountain. Yep. You know, and so just insight. Yeah, no, and I think that's, but that's, again, that's why you're good at what you're doing, right? And getting to the level you're at. And it's, again, knowing your role, knowing the lane you play in, and and that's what makes your world work. And it may not work for the next guy, which is kind of what you started with. Know know what works for you and and be okay with it. Because I know for me personally, there was things, oh, I know I need to do this. And if I didn't do it, then I'm, you know, kicking my own ass for a while until I finally had this aha moment of like, you know what, dude, you've done okay. Like, if this yeah. works for you, it doesn't mean that it's it that you have to do this other thing. You just don't. Yeah, you know, I had a I had a guy in field one time tell me he's like, a lot of my colleagues do their business on the golf course, and he said I don't like to do that. I said why not? He goes because I don't enjoy playing with people I don't enjoy playing with. Hmm. And I was like, okay. He goes, but you know, other people say, take him on the golf course because you know he loves to play golf. He's a hell of a player. He's like. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> like, like, right. I don't, enjoy it. So I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. He goes, I like to do it a different way. Like, I always laugh, right? There are certain psychological indicators that we follow. Right? You go into a doctor's office, you want it to be clean, nice, well-organized. The, they walk out in a white coat. You go in a dentist's office, there's always a, um, a fish tank for calming yeah. for the most part. Music playing in the background, open doors. Financial planners, today's world, wearing a suit versus what you're wearing. 
I'd much rather connect to somebody wearing what you're wearing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but maybe people who are 60 or 70, they want the person in the Merrill Lynch suit. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how they grew, you know, so you got to know that, right? You got to know what your clients want and you got to know it's okay. Like, I think that's so cool. It's like coaches. Like I, I when I first started this, I was trying to be what other people were. I, it inspired by that. I'd be like, I got to wear this. I got to wear that. I got to. And then I was like, if I wear shorts every day, do people care? Yeah. Nah. Yeah. It's funny you say that, you know, because I, I wore a suit from, you know, God, the first 15 years of my career, it felt like. Man, first 12 years for sure of my career, you know, and then it's like you change and then it's like, you know, you're wearing this. It's like, but this is who I am. I, I don't, I feel like a, I feel weird in a suit and it just doesn't feel genuine. And, and so, yeah, you're right. And it, it you got to work with it and your clients got to be okay with it. And that's, that's fine. That's totally it's fine. It's funny to watch how cultural how social media and streaming has changed dynamics because like on espn now hoodies and which I'm yeah. really yeah. love them. um but 10 years ago we've been like oh my god that person's not wearing a tie yeah now yeah. they're wearing a hoodie with a sport coat i'm like what in the hell like what's yeah. going on right now great. <laughs> my daughter said you can't wear that you're not fit enough <laughs> you're like but it yeah. looks cool on that dude it does. And I'm like, man, that looks good. Or t-shirt, or tennis shoes, you know, and, and my daughter's boyfriend. Uh, and he was like, hey, Brett, when you go speak to teams, what do you wear? And I'm like, oh, this. he goes, man, your shoe game is terrible. Like, I love Ben because his shoe game is great, right? And, um, and but it's like, he goes, that's the first thing that players in college look at. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. I said, what about the sport coat? He goes, I don't care about the sport yeah. coat. <laughs> What's your shoe game? Yeah. And he's like, that means you're connecting to us. And if you really care about shoes, it matters. Okay. That's All funny. Right. And I know, and I'm like, interesting. Like, you know, what, what does, you know, what, what do people want? And when you start thinking about it, it's like, why is, why is, so this past week or so on the social media run, influencers in golf have been picked up by about every major club manufacturer for a lot of money. Yeah. They're spending significantly more funny on influencers than they are on the PGA Tour players. Why? Because a kid puts up a video, he gets 600,000 likes. Final yeah. round of a PGA event gets 200,000 views. Wow. The market's moving. It's changing quick, isn't I mean, it? Scott still gets a huge view, but stuff like that. Yeah. So where do our listeners find more of you, Brett? They, uh, obviously, I think it's a, a great, uh, I'm asking you the question, but I hear I'm saying it, go, go to Instagram. That's where I, that's where I follow you. Phenomenal stuff. But where do our listeners find more of you? They want to connect. Well, and I appreciate that. And, and you'll know one thing I'm, I am honest and I share my mind and sometimes I put my foot in my mouth, but it's, it comes from passion. Um, there's two things. One is if you go to any, any social media at Dr. Brett McCabe or my website's brettmccabe.com, there's something that's coming up that I'm really excited about starting mid February, February 21st, we're starting, we're launching a weekly show called middle game live. Middle game live is a one hour show that is done and streamed on YouTube. It's completely free. It's going to break down the barriers. It's identify the things that are happening in the game across all sports. Um, it's a segmented show. It will be great. It'll be resourced. You don't have to watch it live because it'll be housed on YouTube. Um, I want people to understand in business, life, school, sport, parenting, everything, that the mental game is accessible. It's not mysterious. It's not hype. It's about knowing who you are. And so the mental game live is coming. So anywhere you can find me, please do. I try to be active on everything. The only thing I'm not active on is chat. because I, I just don't get that. Um, I used to say forever, I was never going to get involved in TikTok. TikTok rocks. I know the Chinese. <laughs> right? But I mean, it. more people watch content and consume content there than any place. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And it's good content. And I mean, look, you know, we can argue Facebook, we can argue Twitter, we can argue, yeah, everything has its issues, right? Um, but get content out there, share content, share it. Those are our libraries today. People ask me yeah. all the time, what's a great kid to read? I'm like, TikTok. <laughs> They're like, what? What? What, what just no happened? It's going to sit down and read a book. Yeah. No? No. So, right. please join Awesome. Me. We'll put all that stuff in the show notes. You're uh, the mind game, the mental game live on YouTube. I can't wait to watch that. That's going to be awesome. And uh, when you're down in Rosemary Beach, you probably see my oh, shirt absolutely. here, a little watercolor. You know, we'll, we'll connect down on 30A, the greatest spot in America, in my humble opinion. Where do you play? 
uh, when I'm down there. A little place inland called Windswept Dunes. It's actually the longest course in Florida from the tips. Now, I don't play from the oh. tips when I go there, but Played that's where we it. go. It's... Yeah. Windy Have you been there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This place is awesome. We love. We go on a guy's trip every November uh, down there. We've been going for about 10 years, and then when I go down there with my family, like we'll be there in July, me and my boy, I got four boys, we'll go down there and play it. And uh, so it's just awesome. We love it down there. It's It's a great golf course. When the time I played it, they hadn't built the clubhouse yet. So they have a clubhouse now? No, they do not. They still have like, I don't even know what it is. It's like this, almost like a double trailer. wide trailer. You know, it's like you go in there and the lady's in there, the same lady making her, uh, you know, chicken salad and you have a little sandwich, a little, uh, maybe a little sloppy Joe even down there. And, uh, but I you're out there for the golf and the brotherhood. But the food's incredible. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, man, hey, thanks so much for being with me, Brett. It's been awesome. We'll look forward to continue watching you and your journey. And thanks for joining us on the Circuit of Success. Thank you very much.